If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to be looking and continuing our series in, entitled Stop the Disconnect. We've been talking about how in error many times we take an Old Testament passage or even an Old Testament verse and we grab a hold of that and we learn it or teach it as if it somehow stands alone by itself and that it's not included through the vein of Jesus Christ that runs through the cross, that runs to the Gospels and the lessons and the example that we see taught in the Gospels into the New Testament and the teaching of the Apostles, and that is not to be so. And so today we are going to begin looking at the Mosaic Covenant, and you don't have to turn here, but I'm going to back up from 20, just one chapter, and I'm going to read something for you here in 19, as God is giving His covenant to Moses. In 19, verse 3, it says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. He's saying, don't forget about the grace that I showed you by bringing you out of Egypt. He goes on in verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully, I want you to underline that word fully. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be treasured be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. He's saying, don't forget, it's all mine. But I've established you. He goes on in 6, he says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Then I want us to look in chapter 20 and just hold your place there and we'll get to it in a second. What is going to follow? We know that here at Sinai, Moses is going to receive from God what we know as the Decalogue. Uh, many of you know it as the Ten Commandments, uh, but it is properly the Decalogue. Deca meaning ten, and it is those ten commands that God gave His people. We're going to see why He did this. But I want us to see, before we look at why He did this, I want us to see, in keeping with the context of this series, the danger of disconnecting the Decalogue. When we take the Ten Commandments and we preach the Ten Commandments as if they stand alone, we're going to see there's a lot of danger that comes in that. I'm going to show you why. In fact, even a lot of heresy and false teaching that comes out of that. But let's read that together as we start today in looking at how we should stop this disconnect. Let's read Exodus 20. As many of you know these commands, I will reiterate them to you in verses 1-17. through 17. It says, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Again, a grace. He's reminding them. Don't forget what I've done for you that you didn't deserve. He goes on and he says, you shall have no other gods before me. I know none of you have ever put anything in the place of God, have you? He said, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. He starts off with idolatry. I know none of you good southern Bible Belt people have ever committed idolatry, so this probably doesn't apply to you. And if you can't detect my sarcasm, something is dreadfully wrong with you. He goes on and he says, verse 7, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. None of you good churchgoers would do that. And let me just tell you this before you say, I've never used that derogatory statement. It's more than just that statement that we abbreviate. It's more than that. It's when you say God led you to do something that He really didn't lead you to do for your own benefit. That's using God's name in vain. And none of you probably have ever done that as well. He goes on and he says, verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. 
but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. Now let me just say this. If you did yard work yesterday, you're in big trouble. But maybe you were smart like me. And you stayed in the air conditioner. You told your teenager to go out and mow the grass. You therefore are guilty as well because it says your son or your daughter also on Saturday shouldn't do any labor. We go on and we read this. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He violated something that God said was holy. Verse number 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. I know all of you have always honored your mother and father. Right? Wrong. Verse 13, it says you shall not murder. Whew, I'm glad we got to an easy one, right? Except for the fact that Jesus said if you're angry against your brother and you hate him, you've committed murder toward him. He goes on, he says, you shall not commit adultery. Whew, we're all good there, right? Except for, he said, if you look at a woman and you've lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. He goes on, he says, you shall not steal. I want you to understand this. This means that little piece of gum that you thought no one would ever know about. That pen from your office that did not belong to you, that you did not report, that you took it or pay for it. The change that you took from your mother's ashtray, from her purse. The 20 that dad never noticed that you slipped out of his wallet. It's all stealing, isn't it? By common definition, I would say, yes. Therefore, you would be a thief. Verse 16 says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. This covers lying, gossiping, slandering. Not that any of us would ever do such things, but it covers that, doesn't it? And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Even if she has really, really cute things from Kirkland's or Hobby Lobby. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, right? Or her husband. Or his manservant. Or maidservant. His ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I like that, anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's this pickup truck that you really would like to have but you can't afford and God hasn't blessed you with it. You're just being discontent. Or your neighbor's bass boat. Or your neighbor's second property and lake house. And all those things that you feel somehow that you deserve, that he has, that you can't understand why you don't have it. You work just as hard as he does. He's letting us know that coveting is coveting. So in this we see the Ten Commands. Or the Decalogue. Now, we've all heard an error where this stops here. How many of you are thankful today that we are not going to stop here? Because we know this. We know that James taught it like this. He said that if you've broken one, you have broken them all. And so if you've broken just one of these things, you have broken them all. And, and I could do this as we have heard taught in error many times. Haven't we heard this in Sunday school lessons and in children's classes and even adult Bible studies, if you can call them that, if they don't use the whole Bible, I don't know how you call them that. But they detach the Decalogue from the Old Testament. And they say, here's ten things to live by. Now go do your best. Well, it's already too late. By the time I was old enough to read any of these, I was already a transgressor. I understood. I've, I've broken a bunch of them. Some of them I don't even want to talk about. But we teach this lesson in error, and many times we detach it from the rest of Scripture. In doing so, we detach the Decalogue from the prophets, them foretelling Christ. We detach it from Christ and His earthly ministry and what He came here to do and to fulfill. We detach it from Christ's sacrifice that cleanses all of us from any defilement. We detach it from His teaching to His apostles and His apostles' teaching to the church, and we attach it from church history completely. And we teach this as if this is somehow some set of rules that if we'll just get it right, we'll just get it right. Don't blow it. Don't mess up. God will look down from heaven 
He'll smile into our lives. And in the end, if we obey all ten, what did he say? Fully. God will save us because of all the good things that we've done. However, we're going to see that we cannot detach the Decalogue from the rest of Scripture. We're going to see why, because it's a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. How many of you have been in those lessons where you heard the Ten Commandments taught without adding grace and forgiveness and mercy and the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the teaching of the apostles about the law? How many of you have ever been in those lessons and left there and said, man, I am an utter failure? You, you should have. You are. We're going to see that the story doesn't stop there. It doesn't have to stop with the fact that we are utter sinners and that we are utter failures. And it doesn't stop there when we look at it in its entirety. And to just take the Ten Commandments as if it's some isolated thing or to even take the Old Testament and to say as if it is some isolated thing that we look at separately from the cross and the New Testament and from the blood of Jesus Christ filtering all of this, to do that is to potentially set yourself up for grave error. Many have done that. So as we look at this, we are going to examine today the dangers of disconnecting the Decalogue. What those dangers are. If you're taking notes, write this first one down. It's this. In disconnecting the Decalogue from the entirety of Scripture, we dismiss Christ's importance. We dismiss Christ's importance. First, I want you to see this. We dismiss the importance of His life. We dismiss the importance of His life. First John Chapter 3, John says it like this. He said, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. John wanted to reiterate the fact that Jesus came to this earth, and he lived a sinless, perfect life. Why? Why is that so important? Because God said to Moses, fully obey. And no one since that statement other than Christ has fully obeyed. Please understand that it's very important that we see the life of Christ and that He fully obeyed because it's going to come back and play at the end of this message, I assure you. And so we see we dismiss the importance of Christ's life by just teaching the Ten Commandments as some set of rules. However, in the life of Christ, the Decalogue was fulfilled perfectly by Christ. In fact, Jesus himself said this in Matthew 5.17. We know this. He said, I came not to abolish or destroy the law, but to fulfill it. By all accurate accounts, I assure you of this, Jesus never committed one single sin while he was here on this earth. But because that righteous requirement had to be met in him because no one else could do it. And he was successful in doing it. So when we dismiss the importance of Christ, we dismiss the importance of his very life. What does that show us? That shows us this. If we could have done it, Christ wouldn't have had to come to do it for us. If you could have been obedient on your own, then why did Christ have to come to this earth and live a perfectly obedient life? Have you ever stopped to think about it? It would be pointless, wouldn't it? The second thing we see is when we dismiss Christ's importance, not only the importance of His life, but the importance of His death. We dismiss the importance of His death. Please don't do that. Don't miss the fact that when we read the Decalogue a second ago, you all were guilty. And there had to be some type of recompense. There had to be some type of atonement. And it is in Christ's death that He atoned for our sins. When we think that we can do it by obeying these ten things, we totally dismiss the whole reason why Christ had to come and die. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. Paul talking about the law. He said, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, watch what he says, Christ died for nothing. Wouldn't it be pointless for Christ to come and die? Did, did you think that he was just there in heaven and said, you know what, today seems like a good day to die. No, it's not how it worked. In fact, it was never set up that way. And in God's sovereign plan, it was never going to happen like that. And so we see this. We see that when we disconnect the Ten Commandments and teach them as if they're just this one thing that we need to look at solely by itself, we dismiss the importance of the death of Jesus Christ. It is in His death that He atoned for sin in sinful man. Please don't forget that. First Peter chapter 2 tells us this, verse 24, it says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been 
healed. That's not talking about physical healing, Mr. or Mrs. Charismatic. That is talking about spiritual healing. You were dead in your sin. We're going to see a lot of that today. Not talking about your, your physical healing. We will be healed physically for all eternity when we are given our glorified body. It is a body that cannot be susceptible to disease or sickness. But until then, our body is flawed. It is corruptible just as the Apostle Paul said it was corruptible. So Jesus could not have been talking about when it was prophesied through Isaiah. He could not have been talking about physical healing. He is talking about spiritual healing. And if you're as bad as me, you know that's the healing you need most. That is the cancer of your soul. That is the very thing that kept you from God. It is only Christ through His death his burial, through his resurrection, that you have been healed. So we see that when we dismiss Christ's importance, we dismiss the importance of his life, the importance of his death. He could have done it. He wouldn't have had to die. But he did come to die, showing that we couldn't do it. We couldn't be obedient to the letter of the law. And so we see the third thing is this. We dismiss Christ's importance in regard to his resurrection. We miss the importance of his resurrection. Why is the resurrection so important? Because it is in the resurrection that he stamped that he is who he said he was. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. He showed everyone that I am the resurrection and I am the life. Just as he said there at the tomb of Lazarus. There's an importance in his resurrection. I want you to see this. Romans chapter 4 verse 25 says, He was delivered over to death for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. And was raised to life for our justification. Our justification, that is our declaration of righteousness. Did you know this? If you were in Christ, the holy God has declared you as righteous. Not because of what you have done or what you could ever do or because you have somehow maybe kept six of the ten. That won't cut it, will it? No, you have been declared righteous through the life of Jesus Christ, through the death of Jesus Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and faith in that and that alone. So if we disconnect the Decalogue from these truths, we immediately dismiss Christ's importance. And we cannot do that. We're going to see to the extent of why we can't do that in full today. So the first danger I want you to see is that when we disconnect the Decalogue, we dismiss the importance of Christ. Number two, not only do we dismiss Christ's importance, we destroy the law's purpose. We destroy the law's purpose. What do you mean by that? Well, there was a greater purpose to the Decalogue than just, here's ten things, go do them. There was a greater purpose, and I want to tell you what those purposes were so that you understand this. The purpose of the law was first to reveal God's holy character. To reveal God's holy character. To reveal that He and He alone is pure and right and perfect and holy and righteous in everything that He does. And so it is in the law that His character, His attribute of holiness, it is in the law that that is shown to sinful man. To show who God really is. That He is holy. And we know Scripture says to be holy. Why? For the Lord your God is holy. Now, we, we hear that and we say, well, well, what does holy mean? Let's go back. Undefiled. Without sin. Perfect. Complete. Lacking nothing. Righteous. Just. Everything that we know that defines God is revealed in His law. So we see that the purpose of the law was to reveal God's holy character. Be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. It was not only to show how holy He truly is, it was to reveal also His holy standard. You know what His holy standard is? A lot of people want to change this in our day and time. That's, how, that's why they sometimes take the Old Testament and separate it from the New Testament. And you err when you do that. How many of y'all still believe that all 66 books are canonized exactly the way that God desired them to be, that they are inspired, that they are inerrant, they are infallible. So they are all inspired, inerrant, infallible, even when they are still connected and not divided by this, this period of Old Testament and New Testament. 
If there ever was a divide there, let me tell you, the cross of Jesus Christ closed the divide. So when we look at this, we destroy the law's purpose when we disconnect the Ten Commandments. When we disconnect the Ten Commandments and destroy the law's purpose, we neglect to see not only God's holy character, but we also neglect to see His holy standard. Let me just tell you this. You can get upset if you want to. I'm just going to tell you the truth. God's standard is perfection. God's standard is perfection. And I know this. When you read the Ten Commandments, you said, I am far from perfect. So did I. We're going to see today that grace must be amazing again. It must be huge again. Because the church has fallen off into error and and promoting moralism by taking the Ten Commandments and saying, live these ten things. You can try to live those ten things and muster up all the strength you can get. And I assure you this, you are going to fall short. You're going to fall short of God's perfect standard. Because it is in the law that we see His perfect standard. So we see that when we disconnect the Decalogue and destroy the law's purpose, we miss out on the revealed character of God, the revealed standard of God, His perfection. We know that that perfection was displayed in Christ, wasn't it? As He walked this earth, as you read about Him, and He was 100% fully God and fully man, displaying the very character and holiness of God before the eyes of those who were here on this earth at the time. The next thing that we do when we disconnect the Decalogue in destroying the law's purpose, we miss out and destroy the fact that the law was created to define what sin is and to prove that we are all dead sinners. Romans chapter 7. I know this. This is not popular preaching. This doesn't make you feel ooey-gooey inside, like you're someone. I can tell you this. Apart from Jesus Christ, you are someone. You're someone who is destined for judgment in hell. I assure you of that. And I don't make any apology for that, nor does Scripture. And so when you take the Ten Commandments and you separate them from the rest of Scripture and what Christ did, You miss out on the fact that you're a sinner in need of redemption. The law was to define what sin is. That was its whole purpose. Don't miss the purpose by disconnecting it as if it's a list of things you're supposed to do. It is a list of things that you cannot do. And looking at this list of things that you cannot do, very quickly you realize, I am a sinner. And I am dead in my sin and my transgression. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 7. Verse 7, he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? He was anticipating someone accusing him of saying that the law was sin. He says, certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known that what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, ceasing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. The Apostle Paul understood the purpose of the law, and the purpose of the law was to show sinners that they are sinners and they are dead in their sin. It was never given with the expectation that sinful man could obey it fully. It was given to show sinful man that they could not on their own power ever attain the righteous requirement of God, which is perfection. So we see that the purpose of the law was to reveal God's holy standard, to define what sin is, and to prove we are dead sinners. And then thirdly, to show us our need for Christ. Show us our need for Christ. Paul again teaching the Galatians, and if you ever read Galatians, you will understand this. He was having to straighten out a bunch of grace versus law teachings and, in fact, heresies that had infiltrated the church. He was trying to clear up their ideologies. And he says this in Galatians chapter 3, in talking about showing us our need for Christ through the law. And when we separate the Ten Commandments and leave them by themselves and don't show their fulfillment, 
you never really see the need. But he says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. Why? Because the Mosaic covenant was bilateral. It wasn't unilateral. He said if you fully obey. Did you know this? It was the only one of God's covenants that was bilateral. That means you had some responsibility in this. It was not unilateral. He said, if you fully obey. Now, let me just tell you this. When God instituted the Mosaic Covenant, he knew that they could not. That's why he instituted it. Because we're going to see that in Christ, he points us to a greater righteousness, the righteousness of God. Why? So that he can receive all the glory for it. You can't boast. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the Scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge, watch this, to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by what? Faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. By faith. So we see this. We see that the purpose of the law was to show us our need for Christ. To prove that we are truly, as the Word of God says, totally depraved. Totally depraved. Ecclesiastes verse 7 I mean, chapter 7, verse 20 says, there's not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Pretty descriptive of me. Pretty descriptive of all the honest people here. Paul, we know, goes on to reiterate that in a text that we all know. He tells us, as it is written, there is no one righteous. What? No, not one. And so we know this. We know that the purpose of the law was to show us our need for Christ. Commands weren't designed to save you. But they were designed to point you to the Savior who can. So please understand that. The point was to point us to Christ alone for redemption. He is our perfection. Without Him, we can expect no perfection at all. He has fully met the law's requirement for us. So we see when we disconnect the Decalogue, we have the danger of dismissing Christ's importance. Number two, destroying the law's purpose. But number three, we diminish the true gospel. We diminish the true gospel. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says this, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. That's for all you people who've been thinking that if you somehow obey the Ten Commandments, then God's going to let you into heaven. If that's the case, you are going to fall way short of eternal life with God in heaven. He goes on, he says, rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Sounds like the same thing he's been saying in all of his other writings, doesn't he? He's pretty consistent in his theology and his doctrine. Boy, don't we wish we had more of that these days. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Please pay attention to this. If you're a Christian right now and you're truly saved, I promise you, something's going on inside of you. There is a burning fire about to erupt inside of you. He says it's a righteousness that is apart from the law that the law and the prophets testify to. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. What does he mean by there is no difference? He's talking to a group of believers who some of them had a Gentile background, some of them had a Jewish background. He's saying there's no difference. We're on equal ground. We're all sinners. You never kept the commands. We never received the commands. And we are all lawbreakers. Verse 23, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's funny how we put this in context, and it all begins to make sense. And are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. What He's saying here, He's telling us that if we separate the Ten Commandments and the law of God from the rest of Scripture, 
We diminish the true gospel. We diminish man's need for redemption, don't we? Man's need for redemption. The fact that we can't do it. We're sinners. We're without Christ, without hope, without God, helpless, and in a wicked and sinful state apart from Jesus Christ. We, ne- we neglect to see, if we separate the Decalogue, we neglect to see our true need for Christ to save us from our sin. We neglect to see that we are totally incapable on our own. Have you ever heard someone teach the Ten Commandments as if you're somehow capable of doing it? Here they are. Now get busy. I'll be praying for you. Too bad your prayers won't do a thing for me in regard to keeping the Decalogue. Because I am a sinner. And it is my very nature apart from Jesus Christ to break every single one of them and to enjoy it while I'm doing it. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He has made a way for me by removing and atoning for and cleansing me of my sin and my transgression. Just as He has, as we read in Romans, all who truly believe. So to separate the Decalogue and disconnect it from the New Testament and the work of Christ is to diminish the true Gospel. By diminishing man's need for redemption. Let me tell you something. You need redemption. You say, but I've kept nine of them. That one's going to get you. That one's going to get you. And the fact is, if you've broken that one, you've broken all ten. And the fact of the matter is, the law was never designed. Those Ten Commandments were never designed so that you could keep them perfectly. They were designed to show you, you need Christ. He is the only one who can fully meet God's requirements. He's the only one who has fully met God's requirements. When we diminish the Gospel, by disconnecting the Ten Commandments, we diminish man's need for redemption. Secondly, we diminish God's grace. We diminish God's grace. We act as if somehow God did not have to show us grace. We act as if somehow His grace is not important. Or if it is His grace working alongside of our works. And that's not the case as well. We diminish His grace. How do we diminish His grace? By forgetting that we are totally dependent upon that grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we all know it. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. It's not from yourself. Underline that in your Bible. It is a gift of God. And not by works. So that no one can boast. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So even those of you who are believing, you're followers of Christ, even the good works that are pouring out of your life are a work of God's grace. Don't forget that. Your salvation is His grace. Your changed life is His grace. The fact that you might be obeying some of these commands because you are applying the commands of Christ where He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You might be obeying because of those commands Some of the Ten Commandments. But your own righteous efforts will not save you. Amen. It is only through the righteousness of Jesus Christ that anyone will be saved. It is through the grace of God. So when we disconnect the Decalogue and we teach it as if it stands alone, we diminish the true Gospel by diminishing man's need for redemption, by diminishing God's grace. And then thirdly, by diminishing righteousness that comes by faith in Christ alone. By diminishing a righteousness that comes by faith in Christ alone. Right? I know what the crowd's going to say. Are we going to talk about faith alone in Christ alone through God's grace alone? Yes. Yes. Because there are many of you here today who have in error been taught, here's ten rules, live by them. You have failed tremendously. And you know this. You know that you are missing God's standard. But I want you to see in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that His standard was met for you. The Gospel contains this truth. That's why we must not diminish the Gospel by teaching the Decalogue by itself. 
We know that Romans 1.16 tells us this. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. But let's read on to verse 17 and see what 17 says. Watch this. 17 says, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Why is that? It was always God's intended purpose that His people live by faith. The just shall live by faith. You could not be righteous on your own. So God has made you righteous by imputing the righteousness of Jesus Christ to you so that you meet His criteria and you can be called His people who walk and live by faith. Everybody understand that. Don't get that backwards. Don't detach the Ten Commandments from the truth of the Word of God in its entirety and say, here's this list of things that we have to do because you diminish the Gospel of God. You diminish the righteousness of Jesus Christ that comes through this Gospel by faith alone to all who trust in Him alone. You miss out on the righteousness from God, that imputed righteousness. Did you know this? If God gives you righteousness, it's not part righteousness. No, when righteousness was imputed to me, you know what happened then? I now stand before God. And we can go down those ten commands and we can go one, check in Jesus. Two, check in Jesus. Three, check in Jesus. All the way to ten. And Jesus has checked all of my box boxes because He has fully met my righteous requirements in Him when I could not do it. That is why we don't separate the Ten Commandments from the Gospel of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the teachings of the New Testament. They all work together with that vein of Christ running right through the middle of them from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But when we do, I don't care if it's at vacation Bible school or in your adult Bible study fellowships around somebody's dinner table, I wish you'd step up when somebody said, here's the Ten Commandments, now let's live these. Somebody step up and say, no, we can't. But there has been a righteousness that has been provided from God, a righteousness that is apart from you and your sinfulness and me and my sinfulness. And it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is accessible to all those who by faith trust in Him and Him alone and His finished work of Calvary. We diminish the true gospel when we separate these commands. So if we disconnect the Decalogue from the rest of the Scriptures, we have a lack of understanding of the true gospel. And boy, don't we see that nowadays. Many get in the pulpit and they take the Ten Commandments and they preach moralism. Can I tell you this? Moralism will not save you. It is by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, that a person is saved. Not anything that he can ever do. Anything that he can ever accomplish on his own or of his own strength. We mustn't diminish the gospel any longer by separating the Decalogue from the truth of the rest of Scripture. So we've seen this. There are dangers in disconnecting the Decalogue. These dangers dismiss Christ's importance. They destroy the law's purpose. They, they diminish the true gospel. But I don't want to end there because there's one more that's very important. In fact, it's very important because many of you have spent your life discouraged. Because someone taught you the Ten Commandments. Maybe it was your mother, maybe it was your father, maybe it was your Sunday school teacher. I don't know. Maybe it was your pastor. If it is your pastor, go back to him, whatever church he's at, and ask his elders or the deacons, whoever, leading that body to give him more time to study so that he can connect all the dots. Maybe it was those people in your life who taught you, here's the Ten Commandments. Mom and Dad said, you got to do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Dad, I broke four of them today. You are a bad child. Performance-based. Christianity doesn't work because we can't fully keep the law. Can we? Can we? And so I want us to see next that when we disconnect the Decalogue from the rest of Scripture, not only do we dismiss Christ's importance, we destroy the law's purpose, we diminish the true gospel of Jesus Christ, we discourage the listener. We discourage the listener. Well, how would it have been earlier if I read off those Ten Commands and said, okay, guys, let's pray and be dismissed. Have a great day. How many of you could have walked out of here with joy and peace 
a smile on your face. Some of you walked out of here and said, man, what was that all about? Man, he just read that thing, and that, that makes, I'm bad. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. But however, when I tell you that you have cancer and I don't give you the cure, I'm not a very good doctor, am I? The good thing is about Scripture is this. When we put it in its proper context, God says through the law, you're sick. You're sinful. And if we leave it at just that, we walk out of here sick and sinful. We don't walk out of here healed. I told you, Jesus brought spiritual healing. We don't walk out of here spiritually healed. We don't walk out of here saved. We walk out of here defeated with our tail tucked between our legs, never having any victory, never having any joy. But, if we connect it to the rest of the story, things change very quickly, don't they? Things, things change very quickly. And I want that discouraged listener here today to understand that people have inadvertently and maybe even in error taught you these things. It's led to the fact that you are the discouraged listener. How did they discourage you? They discourage you like this by portraying to you that something that is unattainable is somehow attainable by your own actions or works. Can I say this? We can never, we can never present the Decalogue as if it's something that we can fully obey on our own. Or Christ died for nothing. We can't portray it as that. It's going to discourage whoever is listening to us. To fail to teach the truth of its entirety is to bring man down instead of leading them to Christ. To fail to put the two together is to discourage man or to somehow encourage man to try to do this on their own. Leaving them with a breeding ground of self-righteousness and legalism. Thinking that they can somehow check all the boxes themselves and be okay. And so what they do is this. Many of you are guilty of this, as I have been in my life at times. We think when we're checking all the boxes, everything's good and we're in right standing with God. But if we somehow miss a box, we're in big trouble. Can I tell you this? That's not how it works. The only way that you are in right standing with God is if the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ has personally been applied to you. And if it has, through your faith in Him and Him alone, and His finished work, His death, His burial, and His resurrection, I assure you of this, you are completely righteous in the presence of God, and in the eyes of God. Well, I know that's hard for people to understand, but, but can I tell you this, believers, because of Christ, you stand before God right now. Right now. Not as a lawbreaker and a sinner. You stand before Christ right now. You stand before God, your Creator, right now. Clothed in the complete full, perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. When we teach the Ten Commandments and we disassociate them or disconnect them from the rest of Scripture, from the Gospel, from the sacrifice of Christ, man, we discourage a lot of listeners, don't we? By placing this burden of legalism on them that they cannot carry. You know how I know they cannot carry it? Because Jesus said they couldn't carry it. He invited them to come to Him for rest. Matthew chapter 11, Matthew's Gospel, verse 28. Jesus gives this plea. He says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. Can I tell you this? They weren't weary and burdened with all the things of today. My stress, my anxiety. It's not what he was talking about. They were burdened under the law. They were burdened under the Mosaic Covenant. They were burdened because try as they may, they could never get it right with God. They were carrying this weight of sin around. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He invited them to come to Him. To have that burden of legalism taken off of them, thinking that they can somehow attain righteousness on their own. You know what they would do? They couldn't, and so they just learned how to pretend very well. The Pharisees of Jesus' day, he went to them, he said, you look good on the outside, but you're whitewashed tombs. 
on your own effort, you've made yourself look good to all these other people. But I see beyond that. I look down inside of you, and all I see is dead men's bones. You are spiritually dead. You're trying to do this. You are weighted by this, and you're never going to do this on your own. You're dead in your sin. But if you come to me, I'll relieve you of all that sin. I'll bear that sin on a cross for you. I'll take the weight of that sin. I will fully meet the requirements that you cannot meet under the law for you. Those of you who are Christians, you take a deep breath right there and you know, yes. Yes, He has taken that weight off of us. Galatians 5, verse 1, Paul says it is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. He says, stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What he was not saying was this. He was not promoting, promoting antinomianism where we just go and abuse grace. Abuse the commands of God. He wasn't doing that. But what was happening there at Galatia is they were reverting back to the law. And he was teaching them, look, that is not how you attain righteousness. You attain righteousness through Jesus Christ. And what they were doing was they were trying to remove the Ten Commands and remove the law from all of the fulfillment of the law and trying to operate in that again. And what they were doing was returning to a burden that Christ had freed them from. Many of us find ourselves doing that in our Christian life. We expose ourselves to legalism and we fall into that, right? We invent new laws. Boys can't wear gold chains. Girls can't wear pants. So on and so forth. Don't wear your hat inside. I'm sorry I missed that command. Well, it was a command from my grandma. Well, I guess if I disobey my grandma, that's almost as bad as disobeying God, right? So, oh man, I'm in trouble. And we discourage the listener by detaching the commands from the entirety of the Word of God. Placing this burden of legalism on that that they, that they cannot carry. In fact, that Christ came to free them from. Then, lastly, we discourage the listeners by failing to point them to the true path of redemption in Christ alone. Well, if we were to give you the lesson on the Ten Commandments and say, okay, be on your way. We miss this, and I want to read this for you. Because it's right where we started when we went back to Exodus 19, and I want you to see exactly what Jesus Christ did. First, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation? None. None condemnation. <laughs> because, here's why. Not because you have kept the moral law. You haven't. You all admitted earlier. You haven't kept it, have you? Anyone here kept the Ten Commandments? <laughs> That's the most rhetorical question I've ever asked. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. Watch this. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man. You didn't ever get it right. Did you hear that? You didn't ever get all ten right, nailed down the sinner. You didn't do it. On your best day, you failed. But He, Jesus, offered Himself as a sin offering. So He condemned sin and sinful man. Watch this, verse 4. And I'm done. In order that the righteous requirements of the law. I told you the law was to show us God's righteous requirements. His standard. God didn't change His standard. Did you know that? Many people think that. That's what happens when you disconnect God's commands from the New Testament. He did not change His standard. He never will. Why? He's immutable. We know this about His nature. He's not going to change his standard. He's not going to change his mind. He didn't change his standard. His standard's still the same. He met his standard for us. Watch this. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be, I told you in, when we looked at Exodus 19, underline the word fully. Watch this. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. 
who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. How do we live according to the Spirit? If we're truly in Christ, the Spirit indwells us. He lives in us, and He enables us to be obedient to God for the very first time in our lives and to bring God glory, honor, and praise with our lives as we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus says that sums up the law and the prophets. So when you couldn't fully meet the righteous requirements. He fully met the righteous requirements for us. So let's reconnect all this one time before we leave. So it is in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, that as I read them, I realize this very quickly. I have broken God's command. I have broken God's commands. I am, therefore, a transgressor and a sinner against a holy God. I also know this. that Scripture teaches this very clearly. Sinners will be judged for their sin because sin is evidence of unbelief. I am going to be judged for my sin. But aren't you glad it doesn't stop there? Aren't you glad that there is not a disconnect? Because in that, I can see this through Jesus Christ, His life, His ministry, His sacrifice, the Gospels, the New Testament letters. I can see this. There's hope for the sinner. There's hope for a guy like me. And there's hope for people like you. That hope is in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ alone. The Savior who perfectly fulfilled the law and who died in your place to purchase you for God on that cross 2,000 years ago as He shed His blood and as He died to bear the wrath of God in your place. The sin that belonged to you, Jesus bore upon Himself. The righteousness that belonged to Him, Jesus gives freely all who trust by faith in Him as their Savior and Lord. So I say this to you today. Receive the hope that Jesus Christ died for you to receive. Stop trying to somehow meet God's standard on your own. You cannot. And anybody who has taught you that in the past is not a very good teacher. They're teaching you legalism. They're not teaching you the Bible. And today, Come out of your discouragement from trying to earn God's approval. And realize this, that the only thing that God approves of is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Be covered in that sacrifice today by faith in what He did and who He is. You'll be saved and cleansed of all of your sin and granted the eternal life that only God can promise through Jesus Christ.